Our first reading tonight is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thanks be to God for his word. It's now time for our reading from John 16, verses 16 to 33. And it's headed, the disciples' grief will turn to joy. And it begins, Jesus said to them, In a little while you will see me no more. 
and then, after a little while, you will see me again. Some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then the disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Does anyone know the answer to the question, why at the end of a prayer we say, are men and not are women? It's exactly the same reason that we sing hymns and not hers. Someone once said that saying amen at the end of a prayer is a way of saying over and out to God. It's a curious little word, amen. It's a word that basically means, yep, I agree. So in our culture, when someone leads other people in prayer, rather than everybody praying out loud together... When, when someone says amen, that's the signal for us all to join in and say amen as a way of saying, yes, I agree and add my voice to what they have said. Or, if someone's been praying for a very long time and you've nodded off, everyone saying amen is a convenient way of waking you up so that you're ready to stand for the hymn that follows afterwards.
But how do you know when to say amen? Again, there's a traditional way of praying that conveniently tells you that the moment is approaching to get ready. The prayer is nearly over and you can, perhaps with a sense of relief, bring it to its final conclusion with a grateful and heartfelt, Amen. And what's that signal that the end is nigh? It's that little phrase or something like it that goes, for we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know it's coming. But does that phrase really serve no more useful purpose than warning us that the prayer is nearly over? What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Does adding those words serve as some kind of guarantee that my prayer will be more effective? And before you think surely not, let's remember what Jesus says in John chapter 18, verse 23. I tell you the truth. Actually, he says, amen, amen, as a way of emphasizing the importance of truth of what he's about to say. My Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. So they are. Praying in the name of Jesus is the spiritual equivalent of presenting a check guarantee card. Just as presenting a bank card with a check, not that we do that anymore these days, but those of you who've been around long, long enough know what I mean, presenting the card with the check guarantees that the bank will honour the check. So praying in the name of Jesus looks like a guarantee that the Father will answer the prayer. But, and it's an important but, it's one thing to say you're praying in the name of Jesus, and another thing to, to mean it. What then does it actually mean to pray in Jesus' name? What did Jesus mean when he said that we would be able to ask the Father in his name and get an answer to that prayer? What does it mean to speak in the name of someone else or in the name of something else? When Sir Robert Peel commissioned the first policeman in London, it said that when they were chasing after a thief or a criminal, they would say, stop, in the name of the law. And that meant that the Bobby wasn't acting or speaking on his own behalf or his own authority. He wasn't just a, a, a citizen who happened to be around. He represented the forces of law and order. And as such, there was an expectation that he would be obeyed. Not that I suppose many criminals did stop in the name of the law if they were running away, but the idea was that it exerted an authority that meant that they were obliged to do so. Going back still further, if someone hammers on the door of the house demanding, open up in the name of the king, there was an expectation it was a command that had to be obeyed. Who the bloke hammering on the door was didn't actually matter that much. It could be anybody. But those words identified him as the king's agent. And as such, he was someone who expected to be obeyed as much as if the king himself were present outside, banging on the door and demanding to be let in. So to speak in the name of the law, or to speak in the name of the king, is to speak as an agent of the law, or as an agent of the king. And to pray in the name of Jesus, in some senses, to pray as Jesus' representative. Now, those examples go some way towards helping us to understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name, but not all the way. Since there is 
It's kind of an order, isn't it? Stop in the name of the law, open up in the name of the king. Those are commands issued by someone who expects to be obeyed because they are speaking and acting in the name of a power higher than their own. But when we're praying in Jesus' name, we are praying to God. We are not in the business of issuing orders or making commands to the living God. That's not how we pray. There is absolutely no possibility of expecting that he will jump to and obey our prayer because we are praying in Jesus' name and therefore he is under some kind of obligation to do as we say. It's not a matter of authority in this case. But when someone says, open up in the name of the king, they are speaking on the king's behalf concerning the king's business. The monarch himself is not present, and in his absence, the messenger is empowered to speak and act on his behalf as his representative, as his agent. And here we begin to edge a bit closer to what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus talks about praying in his name in the context of telling his disciples he isn't going to be around anymore. So Jesus isn't there, but in his absence, we are instructed to pray in his name. He's come from the Father and entered the world. Now he's leaving the world and going back to the Father. And the disciples are at last beginning to understand just what that means. The, the, the pen is beginning to drop for them. But the point is that in his absence, when he's gone... They and we will be able to pray to the Father in his name. doesn't matter that he's not physically there with them. They are able to pray in his name. They have the capacity to do that. Because when Jesus has been with them, it looks like he's acted as a kind of intermediary on their behalf between them and the Father. Up till now, he says, you have been asking me. And the implication is that they've, they've come to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you pray to God on our behalf? Would you put in a good word with your Father for us? Uh, and they've been coming to God through Jesus, in a real sense of you know, coming to Jesus, and he's been the link between them and the Father. He's prayed on their behalf. But the day is coming, Jesus says, when you will no longer ask me anything. Amen, amen, I tell you. The Father will give you whatever you ask, in my name. So whereas up until this point in time, you know, Jesus has been there, and they've gone to Jesus, and they're conscious that he, he's a man of prayer, he'll put in a good word for us, we ask him and he'll pray. Jesus says, cut out the middleman, come directly before the Father in my name. You pray in my name, you have access to God for yourself. Reading the verse in that context tends to shift our appreciation of its meaning. Perhaps naturally enough, that little word anything, anything you ask in my name, the Father will give you, we, we tend to put a lot of weight on that. And we end up being disappointed when our prayers for winning the lottery aren't answered. Not that many of you here, I suspect, pray that you will win the lottery. I did hear the story of the vicar who was convinced the only way that he'd be able to finance his church was if he won the lottery. Week after week, he came and he prayed, Lord, Lord, you know we need the money. 
please let me win the lottery. Week after week, prayer wasn't answered. And one week he was just on his way out of the church when he heard a voice behind him, the Lord saying, okay, this week though, meet me halfway. Buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) Focusing on that word, anything, can lead us up the wrong path. Anything I want, God will give me if I pray in Jesus' name. No, that is not how it works. The point is rather that praying in Jesus' name gives us the same right of access to the Father as Jesus had. The Father will listen to us praying in Jesus' name as much as he listens to Jesus himself. Jesus no longer acts as an intermediary between us and God. But in his name, we come into the presence of God with our own direct unmediated, privileged access when we pray. It's like you've got your own entrance ticket into the presence of God already through Jesus, so you don't have to queue up with everyone else wondering whether you'll get there before the door shuts or not. You're straight in, in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, you can let this one in. This is one of mine. She belongs to me. He's with me. This one's okay. It's a privilege, this praying in the name of Jesus. So let's be sure to make the most of it. God hears our prayers when we pray in Jesus' name. Not because we are so important, or we are so special, or we pray so hard, or we we, we fast for great lengths of time, or or we've lived such a particularly righteous life, or because we're so close to God that he can't afford to ignore us, or because we use the right form of words. None of those are guarantees of answered prayer. But we know that God hears us if we pray in Jesus' name. And what does that mean? It means making our relationship with Jesus the basis on which we approach God in prayer. Recognising that Jesus is the one who guarantees our access to God. It is through Jesus that we know God. It is through him that we know the Father. Jesus unites us to God. He is fully God and fully human. He represents God to us, and he represents us to God. It is through Jesus that our sins are forgiven, and taken away. It is through Jesus that we are made acceptable to God and holy in his sight. It is through Jesus that we are made God's people. It is through Jesus that we have access to God. It is through Jesus that we come to God with our prayers. And there is, I don't want to say it's a catch, but it's like a catch, because if you're going to pray to the Father in Jesus' name, that means praying Jesus' prayers, really. It's not as if you can pray for whatever you want. If you're going to come before God in Jesus' name, that means praying as Jesus would pray. Praying in accordance with Jesus' agenda. Being in line with what his will is. Obviously, the Lord's Prayer is one example. You run through the Lord's Prayer, there's, there's nothing there that God's going to say, don't know about that. It's all there. We can pray the Lord's Prayer with confidence. But again, the idea of representation is crucial. Jesus is absent from us, but present with the Father. 
As such, he represents us to the Father, and we have access to the Father in Jesus' name. Jesus is absent from the world and present with the Father. We represent Jesus to the world. As he empowers and enables us by his Spirit, he engages us and commissions us in the work of his kingdom. As the Father sent me, he says, I am sending you. So we go out in Jesus' name. We live in Jesus' name. We speak to people in Jesus' name. We serve people in Jesus' name. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we pray as Jesus himself would pray for the people and the situations that run across our path. His will circumscribes our prayers. His kingdom sets our agenda. Just as a policeman isn't free to do whatever he wants in the name of the law, so we're not free to do whatever we want in the name of Jesus, and we're not free to ask for whatever takes our fancy in the name of Jesus. As with Jesus himself, the burden of our prayer to the Father has to be, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we represent Jesus to the world, he represents us to the Father, and prayer is the channel of communication which enables and facilitates God working in and through us in the world as we speak and act in Jesus' name. And that's really important, because it means that when it comes to to living our lives on a daily basis, at work or at home or whatever situation we encounter, we are not left to rely on our own inadequate resources. God doesn't leave us to get on with it by ourselves. Jesus isn't physically with us, as he was with those first disciples, but he is with us by his Spirit. And through him we have our own personal hotline to the Father. And if we live and act as God's agents, we can find ourselves sometimes in hostile, difficult, awkward situations. But God has ensured that prayer always provides clear lines of communication between us and the Father, whatever situation we find ourselves in. And God has ensured that always there is an excellent line of supply between him and us in whatever situation we find ourselves in because we have that guaranteed freedom of communication praying in the name of Jesus. This is Jesus in John chapter 16 telling his disciples, you're on your own from now on. I'm not going to be around anymore, but don't worry because praying in my name will keep you in touch with God, with the Father. So don't be bothered, I'm not going to be with you physically, because praying in my name will keep the presence of God with you. He doesn't need to ask the Father on their behalf anymore. The Father is no longer such a remote figure that we need to ask Jesus to put in a good word for us with his dad, because we can't relate to God ourselves. He's too majestic, he's too distant, he's too... Awful for that. No, Jesus says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and you've believed that I came from God. God is no longer distant. God is no longer remote. God is no longer unapproachable. But God is a prayer away. 
We pray in the name of Jesus. Yes, I guess everybody prays at some point in their lives, but if you really want to get in touch with God, it's praying in the name of Jesus you need to do. He is God's Son. Only through him can you get to know the Father for yourself. In his name, your prayers are heard. In his name, your prayers are answered. To pray in the name of Jesus is not just a form of words to indicate, oh, he's nearly finished. To pray in the name of Jesus is to place Jesus at the centre of our relationship with God. At the centre of our prayer. At the centre of our life in the world. Everything we pray, everything we say, everything we do, let it all be said and done in the name of Jesus. Amen. In a moment's quiet, let me invite you to bring what is on your heart, what is in your mind, to God in prayer. Bring your prayers before him in the name of Jesus. Because in the name of Jesus, you are God's child. In the name of Jesus, God loves you and recognizes the burdens that you carry. In the name of Jesus, right here, right now, his ears are open to your prayer and you have his attention. So in these moments, let's bring what's on our hearts to God.